Welcome back to Following Noah on a Stormlight Podcast. This week is episode 112, and we have quite the action sequence to work through, through chapters 38 through 42. Uh, Paul, how are you? Great, as always. Um, really excited to talk some. Uh, this week we have a lot of Navani stuff, who's just always been my favorite character, so I can't wait Elliot, I'm I'm good. I'm good, but uh, but no quip about this being the 112nd uh, episode <laughs> on a podcast. Yeah, I think we beat that horse to death last episode. So, yes, I don't think we did. You know, we have we only have what after this we only have seven more or six more 11D episodes. So we've got to capitalize while we can. Okay, yeah, on every we, we only have a couple True. weeks to do this, so. Welcome to our 72nd episode. Do you guys have two words to summarize uh, episode 112? Uh, Paul. I do. Uh, my words kind of go together, but my words are turntables. Turntables. Elliot? My words are sprinter and marathoner. Okay. Let's use these four words and talk about rhythm before. All right, lots to talk about this week, but first of all, Paul, uh, I believe we have a new new patron. Who would you like to introduce to us? We do. I'm super excited uh, to introduce another one, uh, another patron. This time it is an ardent, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and we have, I thought this was hilarious. It may not be that funny to y'all, but this week I comically chose uh, kind of an empty and washed out thing of pasta sauce to be my cup, uh, my mug of the week. And it is uh, like tomato basil sauce for some pasta but our patron this week is garlic dinner and so i was putting the name garlic dinner on my cup whenever i realized that i was having this pasta sauce thing and it just made me think about garlic bread and pasta and i just thought that was a fun fun little coincidence so we're very thankful to you garlic dinner you've also made us all very hungry we've we've talked about that before we started recording um and yeah, we're super excited to have you uh, an ardent. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. All right, Elliot, would you like to talk about your two words? Uh, definitely. There, there's a fun metaphor that's <clears throat> actually shared by Rabonio in chapter 41, where she compares singers and humans to marathoners and sprinters. It's kind of a cool way to, to look at them, how, how humans are kind of a little frantic and fast paced. They figure things out really quick, but they don't really do it in necessarily in a sustainable way. And they kind of burn out and overextend themselves. Whereas singers are the opposite. They're not maybe as creative. They're not maybe as, I don't know, ambitious. figure stuff out. Yeah. Ambitious is a good word. But they they can last much longer. They they can master something over the course of you know centuries and and millennia in a way that humans can't. And the the running metaphor there really caught my eye as a as an ex track athlete myself of the the sprinter versus the marathoner. There was a little little light bulb went on in my brain. I was like, oh yeah, okay, I see it now. Yeah, uh, Paul. Yeah. Uh, my words were not super deep. They kind of go together. Um, turntables, mostly talking about the turn. Um, there, at least I couldn't find. I was trying to think of times we may have seen a table in this, but I couldn't think of any. Uh, turntables, mostly referring to um, your theories under attack, and a lot of things just get flipped on their head, or like how things are supposed to work. Uh, for their for our hero's benefit is now being used against them, and so uh, the turn have tables. It's one of my favorite quotes from The Office. If anyone's familiar, but um, 
yes, kind of the, the, the tables are turning, and it's not looking very good. We're kind of, uh, yeah, it's not looking good for, for our heroes. No one's died, I think, that I can think of. If I missed anyone important, then that'd be kind of embarrassing. Um, uh, but I don't think any of our main characters are dead. Yeah, by the end of this episode, Tia Phil is dead, but he was introduced mm. to us in this episode as well. So I was going to say, don't even know who that is. And the two uh, ardent ladies, which I guess we can talk about uh, right now. So That was the sadder to, one for me. Yeah, to kick off this episode, uh, Zeth's Sphere. We've been hyping this up for three books now in two parts, and Zeth's Sphere is gone. <laughs> is it destroyed? Did it disappear? <clears throat> Was somebody there to cause the explosion and then stole the sphere? What do you guys what do you guys think? I'm definitely gonna assume that it hasn't been destroyed. Okay. Um I ca- I think that's a pretty safe assumption, at least from my understanding. Um this does seem like quite the story choice, which makes sense given what we have left. Or and maybe the magnitude that may be behind this sphere. Um that we we just start to find out stuff about it. We just start to find out, ooh, this thing is really crazy and trying to trying to begin investigating it. And then it's gone. And I'm sad because I was super excited to figure out more about this. Um as I've only waited two years now. Uh that's all. Only. And then yeah. But sad, sad to see it gone right when we, when we figured out uh, kind of what it is, sort of. This feels to me like it might be another one of those moments where the action starts to pick up and these little nuggets get kind of slid in there and you, you don't realize how important they are because, you know, other events are really kind of drawing your, your attention I'm really concerned by the disappearance of this this sphere, and it doesn't get revisited. Like our characters completely forget about it. I think after this, because they're getting invaded, right? The, the tower is getting completely taken over. So this yeah. explosion then becomes one of the lesser worries. But yeah, I'm I'm left with a lot of questions here. Is this sphere still in existence? Did it explode? Was this a sabotage attempt to prevent them from learning about the? what it is maybe the two ardents were right on the you know verge of figuring out and so the powers that are out there had to prevent that we've also theorized that maybe there's something powerful in the sphere like an unmade maybe so did that get out do we have like another unmade on the loose now running around perhaps maybe I think I've actually figured it out, if you don't mind me having a little theory, Trevor. Okay. Um, do you know, in the grand scheme of the multiverse, is this just an infinity stone? Or yep. one of the one of the five st- <laughs> stones or whatever? And, you know, that's why it's being sought after and super mysterious. Um, okay. So... This Why is uh, Brandon Sanderson's tie-in to Marvel. <laughs> I'm sorry. We can continue now. <laughs> my my theory is the sphere is not the thing that exploded. Because they even mentioned to themselves, have you guys ever seen a Fabriel explode? And nobody's... That's unprecedented. I don't think the sphere exploded. I think somebody exploded the room to prevent them from reaching whatever secrets the spheres is holding second part of that theory. I think it's the sleepless that are protecting something about this sphere. Oh, really? Is that with information that we have, or is that like your little theory that we don't fully, we can't fully understand yet. This is, this is genuine. (laughs) I don't remember how this goes. So I, it's just a guess. Yeah. I think this is, I think this is a sleepless interfering here. That sounds that sounds really plausible to me. Definitely can't dispute that one at all. I think my my brain was leaning towards this being caused by the sphere itself, 
I wonder if they're kind of mis- maybe perhaps they're mistaking what they think is an explosion for just like the extremely violent erupting of an incredible power out of the sphere. Yeah, that could be. It, it, it wasn't. It wasn't like a bomb necessarily. It was whatever the, the ardents were doing to the sphere actually, you know, cracked it or opened it or whatever, and whatever was in there, unmade or another power or something, just like really violently just came out and destroyed everything in the room. I have two things to kind of jump off of that. One, I've kind of put this sphere in a random weird category with Nightblood. Like, maybe we have more information now, so this might not be the same, but at least just, like, something super mysterious that doesn't fit in with anything else. Um... And we did see at the end of Warbreaker how much power Nightblood has if you unsheath him. Yeah. Like, it's kind of crazy. It can just, like, devour everything. So I would not put it past this sphere if it is any semblance of similar power to just cause an enormous explosion. Um, second thing, or I just thought about that now with Elliot saying that. I didn't think about that while I was reading. Um, what I thought was, like, you know, there are... It seemed weird to kind of have an explosion. I didn't know what explosives like would happen. I thought maybe it's if there's Dustbringer or Skybreaker fused or things. I thought maybe I don't remember the name of the surge, but there's kind of the like destructive surge. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe that could cause some explosives or something. Yes. Get the name of that one. So yeah, I don't remember the name of it either. Um, but. It this is not a fused attack because the pillar is still up at the time, right? So this would have had to either been a skybreaker or something else. Um, if you're talking about a, a deliberate explosion, um, so if is you... Dalinar's Dustbringer in the temp in the in your theory is Del sorry did I say Dalinar Teravangian? All of Teravangian's He's troops not even are there, back in Yakaved. That's they, right. They fully, yeah, they fully okay. retreated. Okay. Never mind then. The, the last thing I'll say on the, the sphere is I am going to be quite upset if it's another three and a half books before we see that sphere again. <laughs> All I'm going to say. That's even assuming it still exists. Like, this yes. could be two mentions across three books and then it's just gone. It's just gone. Yeah. And then it just has a random Easter egg appearance in the the second series, like halfway through. Like they're just like, hmm, what's the sh- little sphere? That's kind of funny. Yeah, that will and not then be that's okay. it. And then that's it. Also, it's like nothing. I would actually be horribly upset. I won't lie. I, my rating of this series would go down like six <laughs> points out of ten. Like it would go down so much. That's funny. If it was like this is just the last you ever saw from the sphere. Like, even if we don't get direct answers, it's just like, oh, this explodes, never seen again. Did you guys, this next scene in the book here is some really creepy stuff that when they infiltrate the, the pillar room. Talk to me about this scene as you were reading it, guys. There was one description that really kind of evoked some some mental pictures for me it was i think it was in this chapter it might have been one of the other ones but venley is just like watching the the deepest ones mm-hmm. and just describes how like in a dark room they just slowly and soundlessly like sink into the floor and all she can see are just the red eyes just like going down until they disappear into the floor like ooh. that's something i would love to see on a screen adaptation like that sounds so so sick. Yeah. We Super we will come there. we will come back to that comment. There are a few things that I think would be epic to depict visually yeah. from this set of chapters. I yeah, I agree. They infiltrate the pillar room, they drop from the ceiling and jump out of the walls and like kill everybody in the pillar room. Oh, that's that's, that's crazy. And Bentley's pretty horrified by it. And yeah, she's the only thing that's illuminated is the red eyes. Like that's so such a cool visual. 
before before Raboniel successfully flips the pillar, Kaladin and Teft and Relaine, uh, still in chapter 38, are sitting down at a tavern and having a little heart-to-heart. And there's a um, there's a quote that I want to read from this scene, and then we can talk about it. It's on page 486 in my book. This project, Kaladin thought, finding those uh, who were like him, alleviating their suffering, that would help the most. Strength before weakness. He was coming to understand that part of his first oath. He had discovered weakness in himself, but that wasn't something to be ashamed of. Because of that weakness, he could help in ways nobody else could. Sil glowed a little brighter on his shoulder as he acknowledged that, and he felt a warmth within. If this went well, Maybe he wouldn't ever have to pick up the spe- the spear again, and maybe he'd find maybe he'd be fine with that. He smiled at Relaine. It has been helping, he said. I think I might be putting myself back together for the first time in my life. There's there's a hint of an ideal in there. Did you guys catch that when he says that out loud and then Syl glows brighter and he feels a warmth inside of him? I was thinking the same thing. I was literally thinking, like, is he kind of a fourth ideal somehow? Yeah. Like, um, was that was that something that just wasn't super official, but maybe he just progressed, like, from 3 to 3.5 or something? Have... Have any of his other oaths addressed, like, protecting himself at all? They haven't really, have they? No, they haven't. It's So, yeah, maybe that is kind of a step of progression for him, is not only does he have to protect those around him, he also has to protect himself. Hmm. I didn't think of that as I was reading the first time. Yeah, I'm just wondering if, like he's getting close to the fourth ideal and that's why, and that's where that comes from is the, is still, you know, glowing a little brighter there. I would definitely believe that. Um, I feel like we're really seeing some Kaladin character development, not in the traditional way, but in the, like he's forced to not do his normal things. And so he's kind of trying to pick up the pieces of, what he thought his life would be and like all the, all this stuff like that. Um, so I could very well see that like developing another side of him and like pushing that. In, I don't know. Think of it, of him becoming a more well-rounded individual, right? Yeah. And, uh, that kind of encompassing a fourth ideal. That does seem logical, like a, a logical progression there. I'm not quite sure I can reconcile that with the struggle we saw him have back in Oathbringer where he failed to say the fourth ideal. It was, it was very clear that he knew what he was supposed to say and just couldn't honestly say it. I'm not quite sure this whole, you know, self care, don't neglect myself, protect me and my family kind of internal reflection side that maybe he's going on. Why would that have been something that he couldn't say in that right. moment when he needed to, you know, save everybody and protect his friends? He he really couldn't say, "I will protect myself" or something along those lines. That not quite sure the pieces are lining up there for me. Uh, Elliot, one of your biggest critiques of Oathbringer in our wrap up episode was you felt Kaladin's story was was dropped in the. Um, from what we've seen of this book so far, it seems that we're picking Kaladin back up. Are you talking about that? Definitely. Definitely. It, it's like Brandon heard me saying what I said and went back in time and, and wrote into this next book some some reflection time with Kaladin. Uh, j- jokes aside, no, you're absolutely right. We, we've spent some quality time with stuff like this, you know, progression moments with Kaladin where it's no longer just kind of Kaladin tagging along with the group or Kaladin has a struggle and you're not quite sure you can identify with it because it hasn't been kind of a continuing thing. We're, we're fully back into the Kaladin struggle with this whole like group he's been pulling together with the mental patients and 
you know, the, the scene we got where Dalinar kicks him out of the army, like lots of big Kaladin moments so far. Yeah, and don't forget his clash with Moash and yeah. Renarin. That was the biggest one for me. That I mean, that was super. That's at least been the biggest scene I can remember from this book so far. All right, and then to end this chapter, Raboniel successfully flips the pillar, or at least a fraction of the pillar, um, the suppressing powers, and then she says, seize the city. And then we enter chapter 39, where Teft falls unconscious on the table. Um, so let's, let's jump into chapter 39. We've... All of our radiance have been suppressed, except for Kaladin. And Teft, sort of? Teft definitely seems to be closer to consciousness than everybody else, but he's he's still unconscious. But all the rest of the radiance, if you're not a Windrunner, they are they're out cold. They they seem to be in a like a full coma. What what are your guys' uh takeaways from from this going forward? Well, my big my big words was turntables, and this uh, was kind of the result of I don't I don't understand how it works exactly, but I just know that there is power in your theory to like nullify the surges of fused of like the fused or the void bringers, whatever, um, and I know that that has now been flipped. I don't understand how the initial power worked, like effectively, like nullifying those few, like those fuses, and then on the flip side, I don't understand how that could be f- switched, right? To like not affect them, but affect the knights radiant, and eh, honestly, I'm wondering whoever installed this. Like, I feel like that was kind of a bad feature to like have a a switch to flip there, um, but yeah, it, that that's kind of the big thing. That's like, all right. We went from under attack, under attack at Yurthiru, and struggling, to, like not having the resources or numbers to fight back. To we're now sitting ducks, and we're just about to be wiped out. So I don't know what they're supposed to do. I guess this was definitely I... a very, <clears throat> definitely a very well planned and executed maneuver by by the singers here that this incisive get to the pillar room flip the powers yeah you basically just in one stroke took control of the whole tower that i don't think there's anything they're going to be able to do yeah and by the end of the episode the tower has has officially fallen so i'm i'm trying to figure out this power suppression thing like like you were trying to analyze there paul like what exactly is this is this doing and i'm I'm confused the the reason i think i'm most confused is because one of kaladin's abilities still works he can still do adhesion which is the one surge we got mentioned a couple of chapters ago we've been told is a surge purely of honor that it's it's powered purely by the abilities or investiture of honor, I suppose. And so we've also been told, maybe I'm implying this from a few different things, that cultivation is also providing power for a lot of these surges. So the other surges are a combination of honor's power and cultivation's power. Yeah. Raboniel told you that. Rabonia's been sharing a lot of useful information. She kind of creeps me out, but she's a she's a good source here. We need, we need to keep we need to get her talking more often. The logical maybe conclusion from that is that what Rabonia has just done has maybe like cut off the source of power from cultivation, so that all the cultivation powered surges don't work, but that Kaladin can still use his adhesion because it's only reliant on. Honor's power, which he still has access to. I'm not quite sure where to go with that information, though. I'm 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 stuck there with 
okay, what, what exactly does that mean? And how is, how is the reverse of all this working? How is the, the tower stopping the, the fused and the, the singers from using their powers is, but not the radiance. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know. And the whole, how the pillar was acting before Raboniel flipped it was, was strange as well. Cause it was suppressing the light weaver fused, but not the deepest ones. They could still sink into the stone. Right. Successfully. So I don't, I don't know. They're, these rules are kind of arbitrary in my opinion, just whatever is convenient. <laughs> Magic. The, the other part of this though, is the relation, the bond with the spren because Initially, Kaladin loses Syl when this first happens. He yeah. can't contact her at all. It's like she's gone. But then it's like she fights her way back in is what it kind of seemed like to me. Mm-hmm. He goes without her for a little while, and then there's a struggle, and then she's back. But she's kind of weakened. She can't go nearly as far from Kaladin. She has a she has a moment later on that's yeah, a little scary. Like, I wasn't sure what to do take on it we, we'll get to that in a little bit but it seems like there's the surges part of this and the spren bond part of this which maybe is kind of the same thing i mean we know that the access to the surges has to do with that spren bond anyway so maybe it's all one but i'm kind of splitting into two effects or from this all right do you guys want to talk about the sibling first or navani's relationship with the sibling first I got a lot to say about the siblings, so do you want that now or do you want that later? Yeah, let's go ahead and do it now, and then we can keep going with the plot. So we got a lot of info about the sibling, because before the sibling had only been referenced a couple times, uh, and now by the end of this chapter, we've got full dialogue back and forth with the sibling. We've got rules. We have a whole new light system that seems to have come into the picture. Like there's a lot. Go ahead guys. So I'm, I'm stuck here that the biggest initial revelation from this bit of information is apparently the sibling was playing dead this whole time. Yeah. That, that seems to be the, the reveal here that the sibling was aware that the humans had retaken the tower and was intentionally shutting everybody out and not you know talking to anyone or or coming awake trying to hide basically and and that brings up a whole slew of questions that we probably can't even get into because we've got a bunch more that to even talk about here is is like why why is a sibling hiding from humans It, it seems obvious why the sibling might hide from the singers especially since the singers are going to come in and try and corrupt the sibling but why the humans I assumed it's part of the recreants, like their bond, the sibling's previous bondsmith probably abandoned yeah. the sibling, and the, there's a grudge there, like the, most of the rest of the spren. Yeah. Speaking of bondsmith, one of the things the sibling says is that they came awake because they felt a bondsmith. Now. That might mean not a lot because we have a bondsmith, right? We have Dalinar. So if Dalinar's been in the tower, he he's done his whole perpendicularity thing. Maybe that was a moment that kind of sparked the sibling into awakeness. But also, what if there's another bondsmith? What if this means Lots there's of- like the sibling bondsmith running around somewhere? Now, do we have two bondsmiths now? Maybe. Who was the I mean, sibling talking if, to before Navani? If there is another... That's a funny question, Trevor. Um, I won't go down the rabbit trail right now, but my whole thought Darn has been, it. who's the other sibling? You didn't take but, You didn't take my bait. No, I didn't. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm learning. Uh, as far as the Bondsmith thing, in my head it just has to be Dalinar because... I don't think this, like, the sibling 
is with a bondsmith. It would have to be some other bondsmith, which I don't think makes sense, unless there's randomly some fused one, but I feel like that would not make sense. It would have to be someone that we know um, for it to be someone as notable as a bondsmith, right? Because it could only be the bondsmith of cultivation or odium, right? Like, there's no other options. Or, or, or for Trevor's theory about the fourth shard or whatever, you know. Maybe. maybe there's someone, someone, something else crazy. So maybe it's the sleepless that blew up the room. Maybe he's the bondsmith of the fourth shard. I'll. It's time to uh, be honest and do a confession for you guys here. Uh, there's no odium, uh, bond bondsmith. It. Brandon Sanderson was asked that, and he said, uh, the three were. Honor, cultivation, and the sibling were the three. So cultivation is going to have one. Likely the Night Watcher is who you would bond, and then the Stormfather, and then the sibling. So why is the sibling on the same level as like honoring cultivation? They're not. They're on the same level as the Stormfather and the Night Watcher. Yes, but doesn't there have to be someone behind that for it to be a bondsmith? It's just like a high, high sprint. It's both honor and cultivation because the sibling is the okay is the offspring of them both. Oh, gotcha. Okay, so it's just so hypothetically, if you fast forwarded like I don't know, ten thousand years or whatever, in assuming honor was still alive, mm-hmm. honor and cultivation, there could hypothetically be more of these spread to make more bondsmiths like right. hypothetically right okay that makes way more sense i've thought of it as like i understand that the Stormfather is dalinar's like spren as the bondsmith but i'm still thinking of it as he's like bonding honor yeah and, right. before, and so that's why i was like there can only be three before yeah. these and chapters so like, i would have i would have agreed with you uh okay um but we get it explained here that the sibling is waiting for a bondsmith and uh, the, the Night Watcher is probably the third one. So, Okay. I guess that makes, that makes sense. I do Man, think it's imagine... a little strange that the sibling would wake up to Dalinar, though. If Dalinar has the Stormfather, why is, why is the sibling care? Because exactly. it's a bondsmith. I think that seems notable enough. If I were... If my brother... <laughs> bonded a Radiant, I would probably notice. I'm, I'm not convinced either way. I, I, I could think that all the big things Dalinar has been doing lately could be enough to awaken the sibling, perhaps. But I'm also kind of with what you're saying, Trevor. Why... If the if the sibling is waiting for a specific bondsmith, it would make sense that they would awaken when that bondsmith starts to like interact with them, or I don't know, say a first oath or or something like that. <clears throat> and your 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 sneaky comment earlier is an interesting one, and in that the sibling has been talking to Dabid, who doesn't talk to anyone else. Hmm. Okay. Maybe. Dabid becomes a bondsmith. Yeah, tell that I, to, to the first-time Way of Kings reader yes. who meets Dabid for the yeah, first Dabid time. gets saved on that very first bridge run, and then he's a bondsmith by the end of book four. I was going to say, if he becomes a bondsmith, I think I'm dropping the podcast and leaving <laughs> like, the planet. Like, um, uh, I, don't, I don't think that will happen. I would bet a lot of I I wouldn't really like bet money, but like you know, hypothetically, I'd bet a lot of money that David does not become a bondsmith. Um, but I guess who knows? Okay. Hey, be... I... Yezrian was apparently a drunk beggar who just hung around the Colon Colonar Castle. True. That's a good point. But was that before or after he went crazy? Like from being oh, in damnation sure. for thousands of years. I was gonna say, sure, like, <laughs> sure, yeah, because <laughs> he was super like cool and honorable before that, right? In theory, hair and until uh, he stylish, abandoned everything. Tall and 
damnation for 5,000 years. Yeah. Uh-huh. Minor details. I guess it has kind of a psychological toll on yourself, you know, I guess. It's a little bit. <laughs> so the, the other drop here, though, is that the sibling has their own version of light. Yeah. There's, there's a brief mention that the pillar resists Raboniel at first here with green and blue light. Yeah. So th- this this has all kinds of implications, I think. We were operating under the assumption that they we had stormlight mm-hmm. and we have void light. Yep. And they they don't seem to to get along very well. You, you maybe this isn't quite confirmed yet, but it doesn't seem like you can power like a stormlight fabrial with void light. Right. And the inverse, I suppose. But now we have another form of light different. And, and I'm wondering if this is the reason why. It seems pretty obvious that, that it is. This is why Navani couldn't start the tower. Right. She's there trying to shove all of this stormlight into this pillar. Like, why won't it work? The reason why it wasn't working is because apparently we've just learned the sibling and the whole Tower of Urethiru perhaps runs off of this sibling light. Food, Sib light, food, food light, cultivation light. Well, so that's that's a dangerous comment, though. That's a dangerous phrase. That cultivation light. I don't think I'm more of the the inclination to start associating void light with cultivation. Uh, it it doesn't okay. because the sibling is a combination of honor. The sibling is a combination, a, the child of honor and cultivation, yes. and has their own light. Yes. That's not, doesn't seem like that's cultivation's light. It seems like this is a, a new, a different light. Yeah. And yes. so. I, I mean, yeah. I've always thought of void light as odium's light, stormlight as honor's light. So what I was going to say, which kind of gave me a theory, which could probably be swatted down quickly um but you were saying odium doesn't have a bondsmith or can't have a bondsmith right so it's not one of these like sprint equivalents yeah or whatever well it's because the fused don't have bondsmiths so i see the fused have nine orders and bondsmith is what they're missing is why i said okay that. that makes sense um but my thought was up until now we've just had stormlight void light and then this dark sphere which was described as different from void light it was more of like emitting like a purple or darkness or something it was definitely described as differently than void light and so with this bluish greenish light it's made me think what if each of our bondsmith type spren kind of has its own like light and maybe that's what's in the dark sphere is Odium's uh, okay. big spren thing. And that's why it's this unique light. And maybe that's why Odium doesn't have one. His guy was captured, so he can't have a bondsmith. He's like in timeout right now. The the dark sphere is defined deliberately as not void light. Because they, they, mm-hmm. they, they, they had a, a void stone and I they mean, compared yeah. it side by side and they were distinctly different so yeah i got really excited when that happened yeah yeah because that means it's something entirely unique which is really fun to theorize about stuff like this on uh but do i actually believe the theory i just said honestly i think that would be super cool but no not i don't really believe that but that that'd be kind of neat My my final thought on the sibling for now is a comment that the sibling makes directly to Navani, something along the lines of basically, you you are so much farther beyond the point where the radiance before got to the recreants and they renounced their powers. They yep. they had gotten to you know this point in their understanding of what they could do with 
investiture and all this power. And it was enough for them to say, hey, we wrecked our world before. We're stopping now before we wreck this one. Navani's way much further than that. That the the advancement that they're at, and, and the sibling's terrified by this, right? The sibling is that was what the sibling was trying to say to Navani to start with was, hey, you gotta stop this. Stop this, stop this, stop doing this. And so I, I'm wondering if this is starting to maybe tap into like themes for the entire series as a whole. Is that what we're where we're going with this? Is that where we are headed with this whole story? Is are, are we gonna try and answer the question of does it have to reach a breaking point? Are are human beings always going to hunger for more and keep discovering more and more power, keep wanting more and more abilities to where they reach a point where they destroy the world they're on? Hmm. Apparently that's already happened. Now yeah. we're on Roshar. Can they prevent that from happening? Or are they doomed to always repeat that? Like are th- are those some of the questions we're like answering in the the biggest picture of this this series? Are those some of the you know themes we might walk away from a book five with or something like that? That I was starting to kind of delve into to those questions as I read that. I I really like that. I think that'd be a really good way to kind of because we've always seen this sentiment with Dalinar, kind of this responsibility placed on his shoulders, which is enormous to quote unite them and we thought we've that that has changed in its potential meaning for us several times initially we thought it was like unite them as in the different like camps in alethkar um in the shattered plains um then it was like oh maybe us and the Prashendi can get along you know and now we're on like a cosmic scale which is just like crazy um but it could very well turn to this way of like Dalinar kind of uniting and kind of accepting like a, I guess a cease of power, a accrual. I don't know what to call it, but um, something along those lines. As kind of being a big like take home lesson at the end. My other comment is wildly unhelpful, but I've been thinking about it this whole time with the sibling sure? is. If you bonded the sibling and hypothetically drew it as a shard blade, would okay. you just have the entirety of your Thiru like in your <laughs> hand? Like, would it just be a, the the tower of your Thiru or whatever? That'd be pretty sick. Just a, a your Thiru shaped club yeah. that you could just yeah <laughs> yeah literally literally yeah. Just full size too, but it's like the light, you know, like doesn't weigh anything because it's stormlight, basically, mm-hmm. you know. That'd be cool. All right. Why not? Book book five. I can't wait. Are we satisfied with our definition of the sibling to move forward with the plot here? Enough for now. All right. So. Navani talks back and forth with the sibling as Raboniel's attacking the pillar. And the sibling says, hey, you got to get to this Fabriel down in the basement. That's It's not in the same room as the pillar, but it's a couple you know stories up or whatever. You need to get to this Fabriel, dump as much stormlight as you possibly can into it, and then I can create a stormlight shield. He... The sibling doesn't explain that, but that's what ends up happening. So Navani says, okay, we are going to make a push for the basement. And there's this epic, for lack of a better word, push uh, by Tiafil and his men uh, down down the spiral staircase to, to the basement to try to get to the pillar. What do you guys think of this? Oh, man. That this is the scene I was referring to. That a a a movie version of this, with you know the right music behind it and the right you know pacing to lead up with it. They, this could be like a let, let let's say like a multi season TV series. That this could be like a series finale type yeah. thing right here. This the descriptions that we're in here, the picture that you see of these soldiers and their like you know turtle formation that they come up with because they've got the 
the flying fused above them. They've got the deepest ones reaching out of the walls and reaching out of the floor to get them. So they're huddling together. They've got their shields together, their swords, you know, poking out the holes, charging down the stairs, trying to get to this room, fighting through more and more and more. You know, they see the pillar all alight with Raboniel trying to, you know, invade it with, with void light. And they're getting closer and Raboniel starts to get worried. And then the pursuer shows up and the and pursuer just shows up, wrecks the whole party. Like, oh man, this, this was one of the, and, and I don't say this lightly. This was one of the top action scenes of this series so far. Yeah. It, this goes up there with like the tower and Zeth and Kaladin's duel. You know, the, this, it's not it's not as impactful maybe story wise here, but just the the way this went down. I don't know. It was it was it was powerful for me. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I think it's really well written. One of the one of the mechanics of this little fight here, this charge, caught me a little off guard though. They they use water. The human soldiers do. They bring barrels of water and they pour them down the stairs so that there's this like, again, this this is another thing that would add to the epicness of this scene. They've poured these huge barrels of water down the stairs. So there's just like rain, you know, pouring down this, you know, spiral stairwell and they're charging through like the, the pouring water. And they describe this as necessary because the water inhibits the abilities of the fused. That like the surges of the fused are harder to do because of the water everywhere did did i miss that somewhere that seems really important like and useful and apparently the humans know this but did we miss this somewhere was this used elsewhere i i'm not sure i know of to be honest the so when you get to be a regal you get like a default lightning power you don't have to be a fused and be a part of like the on the night's radiant equivalent but once you get storm form and you become a regal you get like this default lightning ability that we saw at the end of words of radiance and uh from that on so yeah this whole water thing were was the was that just convenient for at the end of words of radiance that it was happened during a rainstorm so the all the right all the um the regals on at the end of words of radiance could hardly do any of their lightning powers because it was wet everywhere yeah i don't know and yeah, it, this it is seems... one that doesn't doesn't quite make sense to me it it seems counterintuitive right that if they're wielding lightning Pouring water over everything does not seem like a great idea. In, in in our world, at least, if you're working around electricity, wet is not what you want to be. That's going to make things 10 times worse for you. But apparently not here. So maybe Everstorm lightning well, is different? Or If if they are, if the, the regal is wet that's trying to launch lightning, it'd be a lot harder to push the lightning out if you've got, if you, you're... Like, wet because the it's just gonna push right back into you because you're wet that would be my thought maybe yeah i guess so my thought was like that's you're right this whole thing of like storm form like yeah shouldn't this still be their element though but yeah no what you're saying makes sense trevor but i feel like if we find that out that'd be really neat but i feel like that's not intended you're like i don't know that still feels kind of like a, a stretch I don't yeah, I don't fully understand why why this would be the case. Maybe it could be onto something there, Trevor. Like I'm thinking of like static electricity, you know, where you shuffle your feet across the carpet and you you zap your little brother. Not that I ever would have done that in the past <laughs> mm. at any time. <laughs> if 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 it's humid in the room, it's much harder to do that than if it's dry. If it's right. really dry, especially like it is here in Colorado, you can really get some good, you know, static electricity zaps here in Colorado harder to do when it's, when it's humid. So maybe that's what they're trying to play on here is inhibiting that buildup of static electricity. But 
once you get the electricity going, electricity loves water. So hmm, I, I'm a little confused. Yeah. I don't know. And as back to your original question of has we seen this before? Has this been defined for us before? I don't remember. That doesn't mean it hasn't been, but I don't I don't remember it. I don't either. And so I would honestly say with the attention to detail we've taken over the past chapters, I, I don't think we've seen it. I don't know if it's there. If if it if it is there, if we've seen this before, I would really appreciate if someone commented or, or let us know in our Discord or something, because I feel like that's something we would have definitely talked about if we had seen it before. I yeah, I'm leaning towards we haven't seen it before, but simply because outside of Words of Radiance, at the end of Words of Radiance, have we ever fought fused or sorry, regals on screen? I don't think we have. Well, Kaladin and Leshwe's duels, right? Sure, but that's that's a little different than a right. standard storm form. Yep. Yeah, interesting questions. All right. And then Navani successfully puts up the Stormlight Barrier, but not before all of Tiafil and all his men and himself have died uh, get trying to get down the stairs. And then Navani surrenders the tower over to Raboniel. And Raboniel can speak Alethi. That actually was like super surprising to me, but... Um, what do you guys think of this Navani Raboniel exchange? It was sad because Navani knows that it's the only way to save anyone is to surrender because the surrender will be like respected, I guess. Um, but it goes a bit into her kind of thought process about it beforehand and just kind of the realization of, well, nope. We have to surrender. Like, there's no, there's no out for them, um, and that's very tough. I, I almost laughed at a very inappropriate time in the story when, after the surrender, Rabonio turns around and offers Navani a job. <laughs> like, oh, thank you for your surrender. Uh, would you like a job? Like, what? Okay. Um, to the dark side. Yeah. yeah, and her confrontation with Navani is very deliberate and open. Navani's like, I'm not, well, why would I help you? Why are you offering this to me? And Ramonio's like, you could spy on me. You, you could, you know, figure out what I'm doing and then, you know, talk to your husband and relay information to him. And Navani's like, you're right, I could. Right. <laughs> so that's not a bad idea, actually. Yeah, shout out shout out to Navani, actually. I wanna I wanna go back a little bit and, and tangent for just a second, because I know we're we're gonna go long with this episode, so I'll I'll make it brief. But I love I love zooming in on leadership moments in this story because we get a lot of them. Yeah. Through Way of Kings, Words of Ray Oathbringer, even in this book, there, there's so many cool little examples of what it looks like to be a leader. And and here's another one. We've got a major crisis going on. Your, your city, which you thought was impenetrable, is all of a sudden being invaded. And the guy in charge is a long way away and not getting here anytime soon. And so Navani finds herself thrust into... A very important position. I guess Yasna's in charge now? No. Downer's in charge. Anyway, your other leaders that you have are gone. So Navani finds herself in, in charge real fast. And she does something really well that a lot of the time only very seasoned leaders will be able to do. She exhibits one of what are what are called the leadership paradoxes. If you're if you're curious about this, go go Google the six leadership paradoxes. They're very interesting. What she does here is she is able to be what they they call a humble hero. She exhibits humility and like confidence and assertion at the same time. When when you're in a crisis, when something terrible is happening, the most important thing to do as a leader is to take decisive action quickly. 
if you don't do anything, then the scenario gets out of your control really fast and everyone thinks you're a weak leader and they don't want to follow you. So you have to you have to move quickly and do something to you know get everyone's kind of confidence back up. And Devani does that. She jumps in and she says, "All right, we got to do this. We got to we got to go. We got to get down to this pillar. You know, hey generals, can we get there? Tell me we can get there." But then they they tell her like, "Well, you can't really do that." And they start kind of explaining to her like the the limitations of all of this and she listens. And there's a there's an important moment there where her general, what was this guy's name again? I, I Teofil is that? Teofil, yeah. Teofil, where where he even acknowledges for a moment. He says, "Thank you for listening." There there are many generals who who don't do that. And so having the the confidence to kind of take the lead and say, "We need to do this," but then also pausing to listen to feedback from those that are around you, that's the the humble hero that can do both of those at the same time. It's a really hard skill that Navani does really well in this moment. And I thought it was really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Anything else about Navani and Raboniel before we keep talking about Kaladin for a bit? All right. So the tower is being invaded and Kaladin picks up Teft and runs up to his his father on the sixth floor to the surgery room. And Kaladin's first instinct is surgeon mode at this, at the moment. So he goes and grabs a bunch of blankets and distributes them. And he's asking people if they need any help. He's looking after the other radiants that are unconscious. And then he stops for a second. And then he thinks to himself, why is Kaladin storm blessed delivering blankets when the tower is under attack? And he he's got this crisis moment of do I do I go fight or do I just stay put where I'm at? And he ends up telling himself he needs to stay put. He gets confronted by a a, a singer. The singer's accuses him of not being a surgeon because you know he's super muscular and doesn't look like a, a surgeon. He looks like a, a warrior. And Kaladin just has to take it and not fight back or else the, the singer is going to fight him and then he'll be exposed. So he he does all that and then he meets up with Relaine and Relaine confesses to him and says, I, I got to go turn myself in to the, uh, to the fused or else they're going to find me. So what would you guys think of Kaladin's part of all this? Seems like it's setting up a Kaladin dilemma, which I think we probably saw coming or could could have guessed was coming is he he's is he going to be faced with a decision of to fight or not to fight and what's he going to do? He's kind of taken a step away from fighting. So is he going to get drawn back into it? It seems like he doesn't to start here. I don't know if that's a positive sign or not. I'm not. I'm not really sure where I want Kaladin to go with this. I'm. I'm really not. Yeah. So I'm. I'm. I, I'm kind of entering in, into these Kaladin scenes with a, with an open mind, just kind of curious to see what's going to happen because I'm not really sure what I think he should do. It is definitely the ethical dilemma. Well, sort of ethical, I guess. It's the dilemma of does he help save lives by his surgeon abilities or is he going to try and like stand up to the fused and like fight or something, which without his ability to fly, like to, to fly would be kind of difficult. Um, but he is Callan and storm blessed after all, which is what he's thinking. Like, why, why am I not fighting? I was, born to hold a spear and defend those who can't protect themselves and I'm over here looking after sick people this conversation with Relaine I actually think is super heartbreaking I'm a big fan of of Relaine and he's just pretty defeated and it's like I got I have to turn myself in I have to go to them or if they find me they're going to be asking a lot of questions of what what are you doing hiding in this closet dude why are, we we liberated you why are you still hiding with these humans and Kaladin 
is really concerned. He's like, well, what if they choose you to be hosted by a fused? And what happens when they try to get you to take storm form or whatever? And then Relaine says, I guess we'll have to cross that bridge when I get there. I'll figure that out. But for now I have to, I have to turn myself in. He's in a tough spot for sure. I can see why he's, he feels like that's what he needs to do. Cause if he doesn't, yeah, he, he's going to get found eventually and get asked some tough questions. So to kind of maybe try and insert himself back into the ranks of the singers might be a smart move here for him. It did bring up, it made me realize something that we should have realized a long time ago. Maybe, maybe we've even mentioned this before. Venley has a title that a lot of people use a lot called the last, last listener listener. Yes. And they talk multiple times about how she's the last of her kind and, and that all the rest of her kind are, are gone. We had some scenes we saw where all of them got taken over by fuse. The fuse did that intentionally. They wanted to eradicate them all. Yep. Leaving Venley as this like profit person, uh, all of that. And, and you realize I realize in this scene, Relaine is a, as a listener. Yep. It, Venley's not the last listener. Relaine's out here. He he comes from the same Parshendi people that that she did. Yeah. And so do we have like a, a Venley Relaine reunion coming up in the fall future in love? Somewhere? Oh wow. I hope so. Maybe. This from the from the no kissing book guy? <laughs> yes, please. No kissing, <laughs> but for Relaine, he deserves to fall in love. The uh, the last listener title is untrue for two reasons, actually. One is Relaine. Do you guys remember the other one? No. Should I? Uh, you probably... Well, you definitely have been told this, but it's pretty easy to forget. I forgot it until I reread it. Uh, Words of Radiance. Right before the Everstorm is summoned, there's a group of listeners that aren't on board, and they leave. They run. Remember that? I do, but they run into the chasms, which soon after get rather flooded. That is true. But just keep that in mind. They... There's no death on screen. So what does that mean? Yeah, true. Fair. Fair. All right. Anything else for... Oh! The Pursuer. We should probably talk about him real quick. He's here for Kaladin. And he's got one thing on his mind, and that's kill Kaladin. So after he defeats all the Alethi soldiers on the on the stairs. He tells Raboniel and Venley, alright, I'm gonna go find Kaladin. See ya. So he's walking up the stairs trying to look for Kaladin Stormblessed. So we'll see if he, he finds him or not. Yeah, if if Kaladin's gonna go on the whole I'm not gonna join the resistance or or attack or something like that. It, are we about to enter into a massive game of like hide and go seek with the pursuer trying, you know, opening all the closets, trying to find Kaladin and Kaladin's trying to avoid him. I was, I'm actually, I was going to say if Kaladin chooses to be a surgeon and hide in plain sight, that's, isn't that not going to matter? Cause the pursuer is going to recognize him. Y- you would think. I kind of expect that it'll end up where the pursuer will find Kaladin while he's trying to just protect this the those who are injured uh, right now, and it'll kind of be the like he has to defend himself. Like we kind of briefly hypothesized, not super directly, about what this fourth ideal might be. I could definitely see that happening, and kind of him having his fourth ideal. 
All right. One chapter left in part two. Anything else for this episode, gentlemen? Uh, yeah, one more scary, hopefully not important, but if it is, I'm worried moment okay. with Sill. Do you guys remember this? I it's do. actually right in in that Relaine section. So Relaine and Kaladin have their discussion, and Relaine leaves. And as Relaine is walking away, Syl starts to say some worrying things. Syl is like always the positive, innocent, sometimes bordering on naive voice in the group. But what she says here in this scene is, it, it sounds like stuff right out of Kaladin's depression. She says things like, they're all going to leave, aren't they? Everyone dies, except me. Dark, dark stuff. Like Kaladin reacts to it too. He's like, Syl, that, what are you saying? Don't say those kinds of things. That's not you. That's not her at all. What, What is going on here? Is this the effects of the, the tower? The, the re- inverted corrupted tower on her or is this another side of Syl coming out that we haven't seen before I'm worried and specifically that quote is pretty much word for word stuff that Kaladin has said before about yeah. himself everybody else dies around me except me I always live yeah Syl, Syl is like misreliable in this story yeah we've gotten to the point where we we've gotten to the point where we don't maybe trust some other spren but still like oh man it's not necessarily maybe i don't trust her is more of a what's happening to the the poor innocent sill here or it's just like getting concerned about her where we didn't think we had to be concerned about her you know like exactly she was always reliable and steady and now that just that randomly out of the blue yeah all right anything else yeah if that's if that's not a downer to end the episode i don't know what it is so <laughs> well move on I'm, keep reading let's 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 keep going i'm excited for more interludes we do have interludes oh, yeah. next week so let's read those and reconvene next week thanks for joining me paul and elliot see you guys bye bye and thanks again to garlic dinner thank you